Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. It's been said when you forgive someone, you set a prisoner free yourself. But to withhold forgiveness will eat you up inside. Forgiveness isn't letting someone off the hook who doesn't deserve it. Pastor Greg Laurie points out it's really more of a pathway to peace for ourselves. You think you're hurting them by harboring a grudge against them? You know who's getting hurt? You. If you want to live a happy, healthy, and blessed life, learn how to forgive. This is the day when the lost are found. say the words, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Thomas Fuller once wrote, he that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself, for every man has need to be forgiven. On A New Beginning Today, Pastor Greg Laurie takes us to the life of Joseph, an outstanding biblical example of forgiveness and what fruit can come from that selfless action. We're studying the Bible's great heroes. Genesis chapter 41. The title of the message is The Teenager Who Changed the World. In the story of Joseph, we discover how we can overcome envy, how we can face adversity, how we can resist sexual temptation and have faith in the promises of God. But the most significant takeaway, I think, in the life of Joseph is how to forgive those who have horribly wronged you. And all that he went through, he was able to say to his brothers who betrayed him, and we'll get to that in a moment, it was not you who sent me here, but God. If Joseph were to have a life verse, this verse hadn't been written when he was alive, because this is the book of Genesis, but if he had a life verse, it would have surely been Romans 8.28, which says, so we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. So let's start with him as a kid. He was favored by his father. His dad doted on him, even giving him a special coat. Now maybe you've heard it called the coat of many colors. Uh, that's a King James translation. Actually what it was was sort of a long sleeve tunic. Uh, something that you would wear maybe to a wonderful event while his brothers probably had outfits that had cut off sleeves or working in the hot sun and and old Joseph would show up in his super cool coat and kind of walk around him looking at them. And they were very envious. Why doesn't he have to work out here like the rest of us? And then to make matters worse, he rats out his brothers. He goes home and tells on them to his dad. And they're resenting him more and more every day. So much so they think, let's just kill him. Wow, really? Yes. They decided they wanted to kill their young brother. And, uh, and they were about to do it. But they changed their mind when a group of Midianite slave traders were traveling by and they sold their brother for 20 pieces of silver. So that brings us to the next stage of Joseph's life as he is in prison. He could have felt like God had forgotten him. But the Bible gives us one very important detail. Genesis 39, 21, it says, The Lord was with Joseph. Meanwhile, over in Egypt, 
and the court of the Pharaoh, the most powerful men on the planet had a very unusual dream. Pharaoh dreamt that he was standing by the Nile River and out of the river came seven healthy fat cows gazing among the reeds and after that came seven other cows who were ugly and gaunt and they ate up the seven healthy cows. And he woke up in a panic. What does this dream mean? So he calls in all of his uh, magicians and people that are supposed to interpret dreams for him and nobody was able to interpret it. Genesis 41 verse 14. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. He was brought hastily from the dungeon. After a quick shave and a change of clothes, he went in and stood in Pharaoh's presence. I had a dream last night, Pharaoh told him. And none of these men can tell me what it means, but I heard that you can interpret dreams, and that's why I've called for you. Joseph boldly responds, here's what it means. You're gonna have a time of famine. You're not gonna have enough food for your kingdom. So you need to start setting food aside now for when the famine comes. And if you do this, you'll have enough food to get you through the hard times. And you need to put someone over the food supply as you're starting to put it together. All the magicians are saying, me, me, me. And the Pharaoh says, I want you, son. And all of a sudden, Joseph, who was just the night before in a dungeon, is now the second most powerful man in the world, ruling over the food supply of Egypt. Unbelievable turn of events. So Joseph gets married. He has two sons. One he names Manasseh, the other Ephraim. The meaning of their names are revealing. Manasseh means, God has made me forget all of my hardship. And Ephraim means, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So that sums up his life perfectly. He was not controlled by hate and bitterness. He was able to forgive his brothers and forgive Potiphar and forgive Potiphar's wife. And if the story ended here, it would have been an amazing one. But instead it culminates with one of the most amazing demonstrations of forgiveness ever extended. So fast forward many years, time has passed. Joseph looks like a completely different guy. And, and what happened was the famine came, just as Joseph predicted. And so meanwhile, back home with the family, they're all hungry. And they hear that Back in Egypt or over in Egypt, they have a lot of food. So the family of Joseph goes to get food from him and they show up in his court and he looks at them and recognizes his brothers. But they don't recognize him. So he starts peppering them with questions about what's going on and asks questions that only a brother would know. And then this amazing scene unfolds, Genesis 45. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, starting in verse one. Joseph couldn't stand it any longer. Out, all of you, he cries to the attendants. He wanted to be alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept aloud and his sobs could be heard throughout the palace and the news was quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. And then Joseph said, I am Joseph. They were stunned to realize Joseph was standing there in front of them. Come over here, he said. They came closer and he said, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. But don't be angry with yourselves that you did this to me. For God did it. Underline that. Don't be angry with yourselves for what you did to me. For God did it. 
and sent me here ahead to preserve your lives. I'll stop there. What gave Joseph the grace to make a statement like that? How was he able to do it? If you're taking notes, here's point number one. Joseph knew that God is sovereign. Joseph knew that God is sovereign. What does that mean? To say that God is sovereign means that He is in control and He does not make mistakes. To say that God is sovereign is saying nothing comes into the life of a Christian. It has not been first approved by God. Again, the names that Joseph gave to his own boys say it all. He had really put his past behind him and he knew God was always in control, even in the hard times. Listen, God is sovereign in your life right now as well. Something's happening to you that is not making sense. It, the Lord has closed the door and you thought he should have left it open. But uh, God is in control and Joseph knew that. And you need to know that and I need to know that. Number two, Joseph knew that God is good. So he knew God is sovereign, but he also knew that God is good. Therefore the things that come into my life by God's sovereignty are ultimately for my benefit and for others. It's for my benefit and for others. Again, as Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. Because Joseph loved God, no matter what came his way, no matter how wicked its origin, God would turn it around for good. Back to Romans 8, 28. It does not say that God makes bad things good. But what it does say is God brings good things despite the bad. For we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. Notice it does not say we know that some things work together for good. Or we know that all, only the happy things work together for good. No, it says we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. The final thing and the most important thing that stands out in this story is His forgiveness. Forgiving. You know, C.S. Lewis said, this paraphrase, Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive, right? Oh yes, I'm all for forgiveness. Forgive me. I know I've heard you forgive me, but then when it, what about when it's time for you to forgive someone that has hurt you? A study on forgiveness found that 75% of those who were surveyed uh, believed that God forgave them for past sins, but of those who were polled, only 52% said they had forgiven others. Hmm. Houston, we have a problem. What did Jesus teach us in the Lord's Prayer? He said, after this manner, therefore you should pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as what? as we forgive those who have sinned against us, or forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Listen, forgiven people should be forgiving people. Listen to this. If you want to live a happy, healthy, and blessed life, learn how to forgive. Why? Because life is filled with hurt and disappointments, isn't it? And as you get older, you'll see this for yourself. We've all been hurt in life. And sometimes we don't mean to do it, but we hurt others in life. And that is why I must forgive others. 
You know, it's interesting. The Bible gives 76 different word pictures for forgiveness. But the main word that is used in the New Testament for forgiving means to release. To release. To release yourself from something. Forgiveness is writing canceled over a debt in Scripture. Canceled. This is, I'm canceling this debt. I'm not going to be held by constraint of this any longer. It's been said when you forgive someone, you set a prisoner free yourself. But to withhold forgiveness will eat you up inside. Studies have been done. I just read one today from Harvard that determined that if you want to be a happy person, number one, winning the lottery will not make you happy. But they said, if you want to be happy, forgive others. They found there's a direct connection between forgiveness of others and personal happiness. Listen, forgiveness isn't giving in to another person. It's getting free of that person. Well, they don't deserve it. It's not about deserving. I'm talking about you right now. You think you're hurting them by harboring a grudge against them? You know who's getting hurt? You. You know, it's like, um, it's like taking rat poison and eating it and waiting for the rat to die. Rat's not gonna die. You're gonna die. And so when I harbor anger and bitterness toward a person, even if they've hurt me, the person I'm destroying is not that person. It's me, actually. So you must forgive. One person put it this way. The first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. The first to forget is the happiest. I like that. Joseph changed the world because his world was changed first. And I wonder if I'm talking to somebody that's bound up in bitterness right now and you haven't been able to forgive. You need to. I think the more you know about God's willingness to forgive you, the more you'll be willing to extend that same forgiveness to others. Heard about a Sunday school teacher who asked her class about forgiveness. She said, kids, what does a person need to do to receive forgiveness from God? It was a short pause and a small boy spoke up and said, you have to sin. <laughs> That's not the answer she was looking for. I think she was hoping someone would say, well, you have to repent and be sorry for it. Well, yeah, you have to sin. So we've all done that, haven't we? And so if we've sinned, we need forgiveness. And the good news is, God promises in 1 John 1, 9, if we will confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me close with this. Is there someone you need to forgive at this very moment. It might be a mom. It might be a dad. It might be a child. Your child. It might be a friend, a coworker. It might be your husband. It might be your wife. Someone has hurt you. Someone has betrayed you. And you sit around and plot on how you're gonna get them. And that has to stop. You need to lay it at the foot of the cross and put them in the hands of God. And as I said earlier, when you forgive someone, you set a prisoner free yourself. Don't you want to be free? You don't want to be bound up by that anymore. Just let it go. Let it go and put it in God's hands. But let's start with you and the Lord. Maybe there's someone here that could not say with confidence, I know God has forgiven me. There might be a sin separating you from the Lord. 
And you need to admit that sin is there and you need to turn from that sin and ask for His forgiveness and He'll give it to you because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. So if you need that forgiveness, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray and ask God for it as we all pray together. Let's all bow our heads and everyone praying please. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for sending Jesus to die in our place. And thank you so much for the offer of forgiveness that is extended right here, right now to any person who will call out to you. Let this be the moment they believe. Let this be the moment they give their life to you. Let this be the moment where they are forgiven of all of their sins and they enter into this relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor Greg Laurie with an important prayer with those who'd like to make a change in their relationship with the Lord. And if you would like to do that today, Pastor Greg would like to help you with that right now. This can be the moment where you change your eternal address literally from hell to heaven. I'll pray a simple prayer, and I would just ask you to pray this prayer out loud if you like. After me, just pray these words. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. Jesus, I choose to follow you from this moment forward. In your name I pray. Amen. I know. It's such a simple, short prayer. But you just called on the name of the Lord. And you know what? He heard that prayer. And if you meant that prayer in your heart, he answered that prayer. Thanks, Pastor Greg. And if you've just prayed that prayer, we'd love to help you by sending something called our New Believers Growth Packet. It'll help you to start living as a Christian. We're glad to send it to you free of any charge or obligation. It'll help answer some of the questions you might have and also build a solid foundation for your faith. So just ask for the New Believers Growth Packet when you contact us on 1-800-00-5011. Well, on Monday, we'll have some more insight from Pastor Greg's series on biblical heroes. Hope you can join us same time on Monday. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Now, for a copy of Pastor Greg's full message from today, get in touch with Vision Christian Store. It was called The Teenager Who Changed the World. Just go to visionstore.org.au or call 1-800-00-5011. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.